Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. In this episode, Kieran Doherty and Matthew Worthy, joint managing directors of Stellify Media, talk about Snoop Dogs, their new pooch-eyed peek into celebrity homes format that's proven the perfect commission for the UK's Channel 4 under social lockdown. And Colin Howes, partner at UK media law firm Harbottle & Lewis, argues that rather than halting M&A activity in the TV production sector, the pandemic will prompt investors to focus on those that show they can adapt to the present situation. But first, France's Federation Entertainment has been at the forefront of high-end international drama co-productions and originals for streamers like Netflix, producing its first original in the country as well as others for Amazon and Hulu. Production of some, such as Slim TV's collaboration all around the world in 80 days for France Television, the BBC, Germany, ZDF, Rai in Italy and others, has been halted. But Federation co-head of international Monica Levy remains unperturbed as lockdown restrictions begin to lift and the distribution business continues to see high demand for finished programmes. She spoke with C21's Nico Franks. Yes, we had about uh, five productions that we had to to you know stop right in the middle. We had uh, we have a couple of them that had just begun, so there's no really words for that. It's it's a big money loss, and I know that in France it's a big issue with the insurance companies because they don't want to cover coronavirus. So it's kind of a, it's a hot issue right now in France that we hope will be resolved because, you know, productions are very expensive. <laughs> and if you have, you know, and, and usually you finance it when you when you go to production one, it's just financed. And then if you have the, all these extra costs, it would be a bad thing really for the whole industry if the insurances don't help us out during these times. As we're, as we're speaking, the UK production industry has been told that they might be able to start soon. I understand in France, you're a few weeks ahead in terms of, coming out of the lockdown or confinement. So where are you in terms of potentially thinking about starting production again? Some of our productions are in France and that's that's something which is good. And then some of them are are not, you know, they're not in France. And so we're dependent also on other countries and they're opening their doors and the local teams. And um, I don't have a firm answer for you because we just don't know. Like we are standing by really day to day. And as soon as we can start again, we're starting. So in terms of day-to-day at Federation, so I imagine a lot of the resources have been turned to development and pitching. So how, how has that been going? So actually, the good news is, is that we have all been at, and the distribution side, we have been able to work very effectively and productively from home. And I think that that is an incredible feat, nonetheless, because um, I think it will probably change our lives forever. You know, the whole distribution team, uh, nobody was on any type of, um, I think you say furlough in the UK or something like that. And the almost all of the company kept on working on, um, even though we were confined to, to our houses. And it has been very productive and we have been continuing to make sales. And, and the good news is I think a lot of the TV channels and the platforms, because of the productions that have been put off, they have these needs for ready-made programs that are new needs. They had probably space blocked with these programs that were coming down the line end of 2020 and 2021, which are no longer. So it gives room for distribution gives room to fill those needs 
with ready-made content. And so I think we've been really lucky in, in that way is because I feel like, I mean, I don't know if I'm the only one who feels this way, but I feel like we're one of these industries that has managed to prosper even during the coronavirus. You know, we know there's the supermarkets and the pharmacies and I feel like television, we have made it a kind of a difficult situation and we have not let this crisis go to waste. How they say, never let a good crisis go to waste. We have managed to even out the losses and the gains, you know, the losses on the production side with the distribution that we're able to do on the television side. However, that being said, I find that when you, when you know your clients well, it's easy. You know, you have this relationship that's built up and you, you you can fix Skype meetings and Zooms and calls and it's very fluid and they know you and they know your programs and that works really well. And what I find that has been a little bit more trying is that when you don't know the buyers, it doesn't work. You, you need to be able to travel to go and meet new people and to establish these relationships. And, you know, just to kind of give you an example, we have, re we have recently began a documentaries department where we have all these incredible science, wildlife current events, these incredible documentaries. And it's been a while since I have been in touch with the documentaries buyers. And because I can't go to London and go and meet the BBC and ITV and Channel 5 and these buyers, I'm not getting a lot of response. And um, and I think that that's, you know, one of the hardships that I've encountered in this coronavirus is the meeting of people. On a, that, that personal meeting, if you don't know them, it can't be replaced somehow. Federation, some of its production have really kind of are great kind of case studies for how international the drama business has become you know big international co-productions big budgets with streamers and lots of different broadcasters going forward given that high-end premium drama is probably the genre of tv that's going to be last to go back to whatever is normal how will that change your development process so are you shifting development development time from away from big international premium co-productions onto slightly smaller scale potentially more domestic stories that won't require you know cast being flown in from lots of different countries and and production shoots in multiple different countries Absolutely not. No. I mean, it, it, it. I don't think we're going to change the way we're going to continue producing. I think that we want to do great programs, no matter what the country, what the language. That's been the basis of our, of our core since the beginning is who cares where it comes from or, or, you know, where it's filmed. We just want great programming. And we have a very eclectic catalog. And I think that that's why, that's what keeps our, our clients, you know, happy and surprised is that we have, we have programs from everywhere. Um, as long as they're high quality, they can expect Israeli programs, Belgian programs, French, German, um, American, uh, English. And, and I think that we'll continue to do so. Um, and I really hope that, you know, we're not impeded by this virus in the future. I mean, hopefully they'll get a vaccine. We'll find a vaccine <laughs> in the next year and this will be, this will be behind us. But yeah, we're not changing the way that we think about television programs because of the virus. I don't think that would be smart. One of the genres of programming that's very exportable is youth programming, so live action drama. And that's also a genre that Federation has done well in with Find Me in Paris. In terms of how productions that involve children and younger people 
might potentially be affected. Is that something you're considering as well? We, we were really lucky because we had finished the filming of Find Me in Paris right before the, the, the hit of the coronavirus when we were in post-production. So the only trouble we had with was with the dubbing studios when we took a, you know, we had a few weeks late, but nothing there. And children's programs, Find Me in Paris has been an incredible success for us. Uh, we've sold it worldwide to the best channels. Uh, it's on its third season on Hulu uh, and many other countries worldwide. And we have a new series that I can't talk about really, <laughs> that, that we're beginning. We have a few new children's series that we're beginning the writing rooms for. So we're taking advantage of this time, this coronavirus time, to write for our new children's series. And, you know, we were pretty lucky in that way is that, you know, we finished just right what we were supposed to be to be doing. And we financed our other shows right at the time that we could begin writing. We did have one that we are not able to do, uh, which was we were going to do a Find Me in Paris movie, uh, hour and a half movie at the Paris Opera House this summer. And unfortunately, that just kind of went away altogether. But um, at Federation, we have a kids and family section and we have a, a drama and a documentaries. And the kids and family will always continue. I mean, we're going to continue to do live action because we found that it's very profitable. And we're really proud to bring kids uh, programs that is, you know, with the, the high end aspect that, that we bring to adults. So we feel like we can take that savoir-faire, as they would say in French, uh, that we've learned for, the, for producing high-end drama for adults and bring it to the kids' world. And it's an interesting time in France with lots of new platforms launching either later this year or having already launched earlier this year. Disney Plus, I think Salto, is, is that, that's due in June. So is there any sense of how the coronavirus might have either disrupted any of those launches or potentially they might be keen to bring them forward even? Yeah, I mean, the, they are, the, the market has gotten to be incredibly competitive because I feel like a few years ago, it was like, well, if you don't sell to Netflix, you don't have really been any other alternatives. And I feel like now we have quite a few alternatives in France. Like you say, there's Disney Plus, there's Salto, there's Netflix, there's Stars, there's Amazon. And all of a sudden, you have all these different potential buyers. And because they know, Netflix knows that they're not alone anymore, it makes the competitive world much better than if it, were, if it was a monopoly. And so I honestly feel like we are in a better position as a distributor now um, than we were three years ago. I feel like the competition has made for a better economic scenario in, in pr production and distribution. And especially with the new rules coming from Macron saying that we're going to, you know, that, that we can't, the SVAD services cannot own 100% the programs, which means, you know, for us that like, even if we do, let's say we do a Netflix co-production, we would by law have to keep some rights after a Netflix window. So things are changing rapidly on the, on the forefront. And uh, so I think that things are opening up for, for the distributors, not only us, but all French distributors on different levels. Monica Levy from Federation Entertainment. Rather than halting M&A activity in the TV production sector, the coronavirus pandemic will instead prompt investors to focus on companies that demonstrate they're able to adapt to the present situation. That's the view of Colin Howes, partner at UK media law firm Harbottle & Lewis, who also raises the issue, however, of how standard practices such as due diligence will be conducted with social distancing expected to continue for some time, as well as the prospect of a recession, the like of which the industry has never seen before. 
C21's Ed Waller started off by asking him about the overall impact COVID-19 has had on investor confidence. It certainly caused a shock. I think some historic deals that were in the pipeline have completed and people have decided to complete them despite knowing of the circumstances of the pandemic, such as the Sky deal with the Lighthouse. There's certainly been a pause, I think, in deals starting. I think it's too early to say what the long-term effect is going to be on investment in M&A in TV production and distribution. It's also, it's often the case that a recession creates opportunities as much as it creates threats. You know, we're seeing a bit of fallout from the Q media situation, which of course was nothing to do with the pandemic of itself. But that is a situation where assets are still being sold and have to be sold and there will be buyers for them. But it may be the pandemic even positively impacts um, the market for those. There may be other opportunities that will arise because of the change in economic circumstances. I think it's a little bit too early to say, but I wouldn't say that the hiatus that we've seen for the last few weeks is going to continue for the next 12 months or so. Colin, obviously buyers and sellers can't meet in the flesh. How important is it for buyers and sellers to actually see the whites of each other's eyes when they do a merger or an investment in the TV production sector? Historically, it's been very important to investors. They've wanted to go to the office. They've wanted to physically meet people and and talk to them. I think you can anticipate that meetings will be, having a meeting, even if you have to be X meters away from the person you're meeting will be taking place at some point in the next few few weeks. So there's an element of looking into the whites of the eyes of the people that you're investing in that will be possible. People are getting more used to Zoom calls, so that is a way that a version of that can happen. I think the interesting question is whether investors are going to accept, just as producers are having to accept that they need to film in a different way, that they will have to do due diligence in a different way and adapt to the new reality if they want to carry on doing business, expect to have to structure the kind of the process of acquisitions in a different way. How will the diminished revenues for 2020 affect the valuation of Indies going forwards? I think that's a very interesting question. Um, The first part of that is whether the extent to which the circumstances of the pandemic will affect numbers in people's accounts, because accounts are supposed to present a kind of consistent view from year to year, and exceptional items tend to get excluded in, in accounts. So one of the questions is exactly how accounting practices will be changed or will be applied in accounting for the current year's revenues. But assuming there is a downturn in EBITDA, which is typically what, or revenues, which is typically what um, earnouts are based on, question then is going to be exactly how the parties are going to reconcile the words written on the paper with the kind of unexpected um, drop in revenues that will have happened. Investors in the TV business from the industry or from private equity, how are they going to be responding to the situation differently and accepting the higher risk that is now going to be associated with TV production? Whether there is a higher risk is going to depend on the way that production companies and the industry generally responds to the pandemic. I mean, the risk that people talk about most is the risk of expensive talent catching the virus on set, which obviously you can't get insurance against anymore. I think the more interesting thing is going to be how um, how production companies will adapt to the changing 
circumstances in which filming can take place, the extent of that risk is likely to become clearer as the months unfold. It, it may be that in three months' time, it will be a different question. It's not how will investors adapt to the increased risk, but how have the investees adapted or how have they mitigated the risks that they might have faced so that they remain investable? You just mentioned how the pandemic hasn't put mergers and acquisitions and investment on hiatus, but could it be argued that it's actually stimulated it because of the lower prices that production companies can be now had for? I think that depends on whether prices are lower. I think prices will be lower to the extent that a production company whose founders kind of need to sell cannot demonstrate that their revenues are going to carry forward at the projected levels. To that extent, I think the attractiveness of companies to investors may increase because they may be able to negotiate better prices in the light of uh, the uncertainty, if you like, of independent productions being able to generate the same revenues that they might have expected to a few months ago. I also think that the investment market could be stimulated because a lot of investments into independent production companies are made at a relatively early stage where the numbers are less important to the um, investor than the potential revenue generating power of the individual. It's possible that mid-sized and bigger companies will have less work and people at mid-levels in those entities may think a bit harder about coming out and starting their own companies. But there are certainly some investors that will continue to have money that they can spend on investing in talent. And I think this actually wouldn't be a bad moment to do it. The current circumstances will increase the desire of talent that's thinking of moving on anyway to take the plunge and set up on their own and look for investment. What about producers that are in the middle of earnout periods? What advice would you give to them? Any producer that's in the middle of an earnout period, I would encourage to, regardless of what the contract says, talk to your buyer because the purpose of an earnout is well, there's twofold purpose to an earnout. One is so that the buyer has the ability to see some tangible results of its investments and some continuing profitability, some meeting of expected targets which were in existence at the time the deal was done. But there's a second and very important thing in the context of what a very people-driven business is, which is incentivizing the founders. And if the result in the current situation on current and future figures is such that those incentives are going to be reduced because there's no possibility of hitting earnout targets. I think there is a reason why buyers would be willing to negotiate and either change the targets or leave 2020 completely out of the calculations. So how does this downturn compare to previous ones and what lessons can be learned? Indie TV production is a relatively new industry and if you look at it one way, the only recession which has hit in the in the last sort of 20 years or so has been the 2008 recession. That was driven by very different factors to this one and had very different impacts. This one is different in that TV production is directly and quite adversely affected by it, which I don't think has been true even if you go back into the 90s. I don't think it was true of the recession then. And the bursting of the dot-com bubble was not really a, a recession. And again, I think had a limited effect on TV production. So I, I don't think that you can really draw any comparisons with previous recessions. The thing you're having to deal with is more the requirement to be nimble and to adapt to a whole new world 
um, affecting the way that you put TV programmes together and film them and edit them afterwards. And Colin, we've seen in recent weeks a number of new independent production and distribution companies launching despite the production lockdown. What are the issues that early stage investors and early stage companies like those need to bear in mind? Early stage investors are typically investing in talent. There is no lesser reason to invest in top talent now than there was two months ago because that top talent will in the long term still be able to make great programmes. I think the early stage is likely to be less affected than the M&A market, if you like, for more mature companies where founders who had hoped to sell at some point in the next year or so will probably just want to hang on and hope that things get better. So early stage is a whole different dynamic, partly driven by the different rationale for investing and partly driven by the motivation of the individuals to set up the company in the first place. There's another interesting angle here, which is that um, VC investors in particular have raised money with a view to investing it in early stage companies, and they still have to invest that money. They can't just end up at the end of the year not having invested in anything. So that is going to have um, a degree of impact, I think, on continuing investments in early stage companies and they still have to find a home for that money. They might look at different companies. They might look for the companies that are adapting best to the new world rather than what they might have been assuming they would invest in a couple of months ago. Some companies are, by adapting what they do, actually getting commissions they wouldn't have got. The restrictions will affect different production companies in different ways, partly based on what they do and where they're based, and partly based on how quickly they adapt and start pitching new ideas that um, are better adapted to the likely changing shape of the restrictions. Colin Howes from Harbottle and Lewis. The coronavirus lockdown has resulted in the emergence of a number of new creative shows. Among these is Snoop Dogs from Sony-backed Northern Irish format specialist Stellify Media. Greenlit by the UK's Channel 4, the show takes viewers inside celebrity homes via their pet dogs, equipped with GoPros. Stellify's joint managing directors Kieran Doherty and Matthew Worthy told C21's Inigo Alexander how the idea came about and how the process of pitching to broadcasters has actually improved for the Belfast-based company as a result of stay-at-home restrictions. Snoop Dogg's had a very interesting, sort of very quick birth. Channel 4 had said that they were looking for things to do with celebrities and everybody was trapped at home and um, what could we be doing uh how would we what's interesting you know and so obviously we immediately put ourselves onto it our development team onto it we had been in a weird space pre-covid with celebrities and pets specifically their dogs and putting seeing the world of a celebrity through their dog all this sort of stuff and, and sort of got it into a certain shape but you know sort of playing around with it we are in sort of constant conversation with sean doyle at channel 4 as we are with lots of commissioners but since covid it's much easier to hold conversations we're getting much more conversations going all across the board and we were chatting to him about potentially the dogs and things and sean being the creative person that he is said well why don't you just stick the cameras on the dogs and let's have a look at the celebrities houses where we were over complicating and being crazy sean was able just to refine it down to the most interesting part of it and that was essentially we were like okay We'll, we'll just say that back to you as if we come up with it. And then he said, well, why don't you go away, think about it and pitch it in. And we'll see. And we just took it back to Tom Pape, who's our head of development, and he gave it to his team. And they developed it up. And we got we created a little sizzle um, and a sort of pitch deck walkthrough and pitched it back in. But it was essentially, we'll strap GoPros to dogs and we'll go for a walk around celebrities' houses, essentially. 
Well, we, we sort of had to drill into it a bit to figure out, because it's, it's a really easy thing to say, strap a GoPro to a dog and let it walk around the house. But when you start to think, well, why and, and how? And so we went around the houses on that, and it became much more uh, solid when we did the pitch deck, because we, we essentially just turned it into a real property show which is what it is. It's a property interior sort of thing. Um, and once we started doing that, we followed the, the sort of tropes of a normal property format. But the hook being, you know, you have it from the point of view of the dog as it goes from room to room. And that's what changed it up. And that's what gave it its nice warm tone. Could you just walk me through a bit about how the pitch and the process for the pitch itself changed and how was it presenting the final product? The truth is, for us, it hasn't changed that much. We are, we're based in Belfast and all the people that can commission us tend to be in London. So we've created a, a kind of a process over the last few years where a lot of our pitches are remote anyway, and a lot of them are sent in as kind of narrated PowerPoint presentations. So we were kind of, we're pre-built for this in many ways. And, and that, that was the same here. We just very quickly got it into a video and then that was used to sell it internally so I, I i don't think i don't think we've changed that much during COVID, but specifically because of being separate from everybody anyway from being in in belfast and kieran you mentioned before that you'd always sort of had an idea to do something similar with dogs um but was the pandemic did that provide a chance to finally go out and say look we've got this idea which can really come into play now or was it the natural process of the the idea that just flourished at this point yeah we weren't thinking COVID at all really i mean the, the call the arms was we wanted to do stuff for celebrities that was the initial um call from channel four and then we were thinking well, what can we do but you know when we when we initially got put into lockdown i think everyone started to think okay what are the opportunities there's lots of short-term opportunities here you know, who are who do we have relationships with? What could we be doing? Um, there's lots of essentially low-hanging fruit that we could maybe be trying to chase and try and come up with good shows. But then we started to realize that the amount of effort you put in to creating those COVID shows, those short-term shows, you know, they'll only live the length of the quarantine, essentially. So we started to think, well, if we're going to if we're going to put all this energy into it, we should be thinking mid to long term. And the really smart thinking is trying to think of something that could outlive COVID, but could be made during COVID. So as we were going through all our development processes, there was lots of ideas came up, but our, our thinking was, would you commission that on the other side of COVID or would it still be on when COVID is over? And if the answer to that was no, then we, it, we just let it slide away and we, we kept pushing for things that might live beyond it. And the hook of Snoop Dogs with uh, you know, the, the camera on the dogs, things like that, we had to pitch that last year or next year. COVID was never the thing that was pushing us on. But the fact that we could make it during COVID and it would look like a TV show that would be on either side of COVID was the big deal for us. And how was the idea initially received? I mean, it's obviously proven to be quite welcomed once it was announced. Obviously, the idea is just a bit funny. It's quite bizarre. It's something that you wouldn't really think you'd sit down and watch. But how was it received amongst your peers and amongst uh, the commissioners once you first presented it? Did they, I mean, did they lift eyebrows? Did they sit back and laugh? Or was, what was their reaction? <laughs> why, would you, why would you ask that? <laughs> They, they said BAFTA. They said to us, this is it, lads. Finally. <laughs> you know, you'll be respected by your peers at last. Um, it was, I have to say, it was, you know, of all the things we've pitched and of all the things we've made um, in the entertainment genre where we sort of live, entertainment, factual entertainment, there's nothing has cut through quicker than Snoop Dogg's ever. Like the buzz um, and everyone saying, you know, it's such a clever idea, well done. It, it's been almost universally well received it's bizarre to us because it's you know it, it was it's on the list of things that we're doing it's it's another good idea we think it's another sort of half clever idea we'll pitch it out but it's just been so well picked up by everyone else and the announcement that we got um sort of it blew up from that really 
had lots of interest from lots of territories from America right around Australia. And the really interesting part of all this is because everything's now done by Zoom or Teams or Google Hangout or, or whatever your preference is. Previously, we would never be in the room for those. It would require us to travel, uh, which is just usually impossible. But now, because the way the world is, Matt and I will be on those pitches as they happen around the world. So it's fantastic. I mean, as Matt says, we're used to being remote. You know, this, it hasn't changed our way of working. We're very rarely in the room because of where we're based in Belfast. And now everybody's in the same boat as us, essentially. But we're very comfortable with it. So it's, it's an interesting time to be alive for us, essentially. And just speaking about the wider COVID situation that we're all in, how have you guys found that? Um, you mentioned that you're quite used to working remotely, but I'm assuming you're not used to spending two months locked indoors. So how have... How has that affected your usual run of business, you know, the way you come up with ideas, the way you try and get shows um, developed and produced? Uh, Kieran has got a lot of ideas about phonetics at the moment. That's where most of his ideas are based. Jolly phonics. You see, you're not teaching your child, whereas I am teaching my child. So I'm not equipped or intelligent enough to teach my seven-year-old things. So I'm finding that a particularly interesting way to spend parts of my day. I think from a business perspective, my worry was when, we, when this first happened, we, we went into lockdown. We made sure that all of the staff could work from home and everybody went off uh, to their houses. And we do these regular sort of teams calls and, you know, check in with each other and drinks and all the different departments speak regularly on meetings. And I think when it first happened, I was worried that we might drift, that it might become the distractions from working from home might slow us down. And I think the opposite has happened. And I think that's probably normal. Everybody I speak to seems to say the same thing. They've yeah. gone busier rather than less busy and so now our worry would be that our teams burn out so we're being really we're being very serious about saying you know just because you're working from home doesn't mean you're working 24 hours a day take lunch breaks take days off you know turn turn your computer off when you finish working don't answer emails because the amount of productivity and creativity coming out of our out of the development department and our operations department and even our production department is is fantastic but i just i think it's we have a duty to make sure they don't work too hard and Matt, how have you found the transition to you know staying indoors for two months? You haven't seen Matt's garden. Matt's having the time of his life. Oh, he's, I, he's got it done right then. I, I yeah. do. I feel. I personally feel very lucky for that reason. I'm out in the countryside, and yes, I feel very lucky. Um, but in terms of working, Kieran's exactly right. We've had a. It's kind of been a hide of creativity. But I think also part of that, and I'm sure this will be echoed by a lot of other companies as well, is is just because. We're getting more time with commissioners than we would do because because meetings are kind of more efficient and to the point and shorter. So they become more regular and they become about things. So that in turn obviously creates more more work within the development team and, and creating more materials and etc. So I think that's what's driving a lot of it is is I believe in terms of producers talk, talking to commissioners, and I'd be interested to speak to a commissioner about this, but it feels to us like we're certainly having much more conversations than we've ever had because it's not you've got an hour in London and half of that's moving to another room and, and all that sort of business. It's just, it's a video conference um, to the point and then you move on to the next one. I mean, we, I am starting to dream in video conferences. That's what I have realised. <laughs> that freaked me out a little. That I just sort of live staring at myself the whole day. But I think it has, because that's, that's what's driving a lot of the creativity is, is, is the continued momentum and, and conversations with the, you know, the people at all the different channels. Kieran Doherty and Matthew Worthy from Stellify Media. That's all for this episode. Remember, if you'd like to share your story of coping with COVID-19 with the international TV industry, email us using the address press at c21media.net. In the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. 
Thanks for listening. <laughs>